Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today, Ryan and I review The Whale and Babylon. Full spoilers ahead for both films. You've been warned. Zooming into our medium shot now, Ryan, what compelled you to watch The Whale? I'm not talking about Avatar. It's a different whale movie. Oh, yeah, we already talked about that. First off, I want to say I'm dressed like this because Team Canada won World Junior, so let's go back to back. Bit of a hockey fan. Uh, if you're not Canadian, uh, so too bad. Maybe next year. Yeah, if you're not Canadian, uh, kick rocks. Anyway, <laughs> this is our sport. Uh, but yeah, Czech Republic actually they played a very good game. We were up two nothing. They came back and tied it two to two, and then uh, scored in overtime. So fun game. Anyway, uh, what compelled me to watch this? Um, well. Honestly, one person, Brendan Fraser. You know, I I wasn't like a mega fan of his as a kid, but I remember watching him and stuff and always being entertained by him, especially in the Mummy movies. Um, even though they kind of I like maybe dipped in quality by the third one, he's still good in them. You know, he's very entertaining. He's great comedically. He's he also just has that like a a lister star look to him. Uh, I just think he's he's very good and. uh yeah, and then when I, I heard about his comeback, because I know he was blacklisted for a long time, he was he was either falsely accused of, you know, um, assault, or he was, someone assaulted him or something like that, so he was blacklisted from Hollywood, then it came out, said it wasn't true, and um, so now he's back making a comeback here, and I saw the trailer, and I was instantly hooked, heard about when it opened up at the... Cannes Film Festival. He had like a six-minute standing ovation, and I was just really excited to watch this movie and see him. What I think is his the performance of his lifetime. Well, as for me, I didn't really have a heck of a lot of hype going into the whale. I like you grew up on a lot of Brendan Fraser films, mostly The Mummy, maybe uh, George of the Jungle or whatever. Just some. Oh mostly. yeah, the George of Jungle, yeah. He was in mostly goofy B-movie stuff in the early 2000s, which I, I don't even remember a lot of them now, but if you told me about them, I'd remember, oh yeah, that movie with Brendan Fraser. He was just kind of a part of our childhoods, just kind of yeah. around in a lot of the entertainment we saw back then. So yeah, I was interested to see him come back in, in a movie where he's the leading role again for the first time in a long, long time. I know he has a pretty big role on DC's Doom Patrol show, which I've been meaning to see, but haven't gotten around to. Oh, yeah, he's to. a I robot, isn't he? Yeah, I hear it's really good. So, you know, everyone calls the whale his comeback role. Doom Patrol was technically a comeback role. It just isn't as high profile. Technically. Although I don't know how many people are watching the whale either, to be honest. You hear more people talk about it than probably actually saw it. But... Um, mm. Yeah, because this movie yeah, isn't really, we'll get into it, but this movie isn't really for everybody, just from the look of it. I expected a dour, serious drama, and those don't always appeal to me. I'll get into more of that later, but yeah, it looked okay. Brendan Fraser looked great in it. It's, um, it looked like a movie, uh, one that probably wouldn't <laughs> suck, probably Oscar Beatty enough. Which, that's going to be really hit or miss, I don't know. But, yeah, gave it a shot. Wasn't disappointed. But, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Oh, man. 
Uh, as soon as you said Oscar Beatty, I just went through like hundreds of movies in my head, <laughs> like over the past 20 years. <laughs> I don't know why. This is textbook Oscar oh. Beatty. Just watch the trailer. The dour lighting, the yeah. rain in the window, uh, Brendan Fraser wearing prosthetics with a disability, playing a super sad character and acting his mm. heart out. I watched a College Humor video about this about 10 years ago, and if you watch that video where stereotypical Oscar drama movie, now that I'm thinking back on it, mm-hmm. it's basically the whale. Oscars love a performance where it's either a physical problem or a mental problem. Just look back at like the past or or like a, a person starring in a biopic. Just look at the past like maybe 10 years of best actors and actress winners. Most of them are probably have something to do with like a mental illness or a yeah. physical um, disability or biopics. That's why Ryan and I were debating just the other week about who might win the best actor Oscar this year, Brendan Fraser or Austin Butler. And I said something along the lines of, okay, well, what do you think the Academy's, what do you think the Academy's more into this year? A comeback story where the guy plays a disability and acts his heart out or a guy who perfectly captures the essence of an American icon. So what's more in this year, sympathy or nostalgia? I think Fraser's more shooing because the Academy tends to like the older guys who haven't won Oscars yet, they tend to be like, oh, Austin Butler's young. He's talented. He'll get an Oscar someday, probably. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say the same thing. I completely agree with you because Austin Butler's been a few things, but it's mostly been like Disney stuff and then straight to uh, TV movies. So for him to be so young and be nominated, they're not really going to give it to him. They'll be like, oh, wait a few years, you know, he'll win an Oscar later. Wait till you uh, They did the same stage. thing. Yeah. They did, they've done the same thing to like Gary Oldman till he won it recently. DiCaprio. Um, DiCaprio. They even so did it times. to, or they tried to do it to um, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out. He was probably oh, a standout yeah. that year. And then he just won it for, he, um, uh, I don't remember the movie, but he just won it for uh, like supporting actor. I can't remember what it is, but it's about oh, oh. man. Uh, it was about a guy who he played a guy who like ran the Black Panther Party, but not part of oh, oh Ju- of Judas the and the Black Panther Messiah. Party. I love that. Thank you, Judas and the Black Messiah. That was I so it was good. Black Messiah. I haven't seen that yet, but I I saw my list and I oh, it's fantastic. It's very good. So he won for that and. Uh, People, my one friend was worried because he's a big uh, Daniel Kaluuya fan. Like, fuck, is he ever going to win an Oscar? Because Get Out was an, uh, an amazing performance. But yeah, uh, I my vote is I didn't think we were going to talk about this right off the bat. But yeah, my vote's Brandon Fraser because yeah, we kind of skipped it, a he's step older. Here. <laughs> he, he's older than yeah. than he has been. Austin Butler probably has like fifty years in the business after this. Hope uh, so. Depending on the type of work he does, so he will. I, as like business wise, I kind of understand where the Oscars are coming from from there, where they don't want to give it to the young guy right off the bat. But then also, it's like, but is that the best performance of the year? You know what I mean? It's kind of well, like a. You know what? Honestly, I do think Brendan Fraser's performance is the best I've seen this year. We kind of oh, skipped sure. a step. Yeah, we yeah. kind of skipped a step going right to the Oscars, but we have to skip back mm-hmm. just to tell you this performance is probably the best Phenomenal. of 2022. And would halfway through, I halfway through, I forgot it was Brandon Fraser. Um, mm-hmm. That's honestly 
because I at the beginning it was like, wow, it's Brandon Fraser, he's back, whatever. Fifteen, I just said halfway, but fifteen, twenty minutes in, I just saw him as Charlie because he just he literally completely transforms himself, and that's be- due to his acting, but also the makeup team. Holy, sh- it does not look like a suit. It really looks like him. Because oh, with really some good. like the prosthetics quote, unquote, are incredible. Fat suits, quote unquote fat suits. You can see sometimes there's like a seam at the neckline where you can see where it clearly detaches off. Here yeah. you can't tell like where it starts, where it stops. And I was it's looking phenomenal makeup job. I was looking, <laughs> even though I was all the I did I did a faux pas, Joe. I went to the very back of the theater on a regular screen. I don't think I'm gonna do that again because it was really far away. So I was like, oh, no. And then because the aspect ratio is close, it's smaller Then I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to oh. notice every detail. <laughs> so there's one because there's one part where a character is looking at a book on a shelf uh, or Charlie's looking at a book on the shelf. And I couldn't make out what it was at the time. I was like, hmm, I don't need glasses, but I'm too far away to, <laughs> to watch this movie. I need glasses even on a movie screen full size. I'm basically blind. I can't see the details. Yeah. So I'm it's bad. I'm not saying I need to sit in front, but like three rows down, you know what I mean? I'm usually right in the middle of the theater. Like you go mm-hmm. in, it's usually but also, like row B or whatever. But also when I was at the back, I was checking on the score of the game. I was in the back, don't worry, no one was beside me. I wasn't distracting anybody. It's an important game. It's the future of hockey. Anyway. Close up audience, do not use Ryan as an example of good movie theater etiquette. Do not, do, br- don't pop your phone out into theater. I'm not saying you do it. I just, I had perfect opportunities to do it. I'm not condoning Let's, what I did. Every, everybody all at once. Shame, 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 shame. shame. <laughs> don't quote Game of Thrones at me if you haven't seen. That's a Game of Thrones quote. I don't think what it's a Game you, of Thrones quote, but that happens you know? in the show. Ah. Uh. Oh, well, okay, fine. Then, anyway. I'll do a, then I'll do a Star Trek thing. We all just turn our backs to him. The Klingons do that. I don't know what's to worse. <laughs> I don't shun, know what would be worse. To shun their Imagine you walk to a room. Imagine you walk to a room and then everybody turns their back to you and be like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> what they did. And it's people you know. That was That'd what they terrible. did. Every, every, all the guys, family and friends shunned him because he disgraced his culture and his family. I'd go home. I'd go home right away. <laughs> That's why let's I would turn around and go home. Let's talk about the whale. All right. Let's, oh, uh, man. Want to talk more about Fraser and what he does here first? Because he's, he's the standout of this movie, to be clear. Without Fraser, God, he's this so thing is good. not, um, and, uh, this thing is not no. that great without Fraser. He kind of carries the whole thing on his shoulders. Yeah. I think what really helps with Fraser as well is the character he plays, but also the writing of the character, how he's in this he's in this battle with himself physically and mentally, but he's probably the most positive person that you, that is in this film when it comes to other people, he doesn't want to be, you know, he doesn't want to be treated rudely. He's constantly saying that he's sorry to his, uh, excuse me, sorry. Cause I'm, you know, (laughs) Canadian, uh, constantly apologizing to his nurse. And even though the nurse is like, stop, like, stop saying you're sorry. But it's, he's just so positive in the way he treats other people. And that's why it's so heartbreaking when he's not treated fairly by one person. And it's not the one person that you're thinking of that uh, I'll bring up because I don't want to go, 
I don't want to get fairly by anybody. He's not treated fairly by I know not by anybody, but there's just one person in particular that really broke my heart. Yeah, but uh, I think he's Frazier is the standout to me because he gives a very layered performance. His performance is very he combines humor and inner darkness and uh, resilience, and he's got a warmth about him too. Uh, maybe a bit of secretiveness as well. He's he's a very three-dimensional character here, and he plays all facets of this guy exceptionally well. I don't think I've ever seen Fraser be so serious in a role before, because, like I said, when we grew up with him, he was mostly known for comedies or more two-dimensional mm-hmm. action heroes or whatever. So it was... I, I didn't know he had it in him, to be honest. Not that I expected badly of yeah, him. Yeah, it's a bit of shock. Means, but... Yeah. Hey, good on him. I'm glad to uh, like to see actors mm-hmm. I like reach new depths to their talent and continue to hone their skills over the years. It would be bad if we never saw him improve, right? That That's always the goal. You want to be that's able always to see... Worst, yeah. You want to be able to see actors earlier in their career, and if they're still lucky enough to be able to work, you can say, oh, wow, they got better with age. Good for them. They yeah. kept themselves relevant by way of... Constant improvement. Mm-hmm. Well, that is always the case with a lot of like the best, um, the best method I would say for getting famous or notoriety in the future is to, you know, obviously stick to what you're good at at first, and then, and if it's comedy, go for comedy, and if you have dramatic, tra- that's why you see a lot of actors go for drama after doing comedy forever because it is it actually shows not that comedy isn't a talent on itself, but it's in my opinion. Not as it sounds worse. It sounds bad saying it, but not as talented as doing like a super dramatic role because not very, everybody. Oh, can very do much disagree. Very much disagree there. Comedy is all about okay. comedy. It's harder to make people laugh than it is to do drama. You need to be an expert performer to do comedy. That's why so For many sure. comedi- That's why so many comedians easily transition into drama acting. You don't see very many dramatic actors transition into comedy. Mm, They're not cut that's out fair. for it. Yeah. They're just not cut out for it. The skills are more transferable from comedy to drama than the other way around. So I tend to find comedic actors, when they're really going for it, to be more multi-talented as performers. They can just do Mm -hmm. more. They have more versatility. That's fair. It's just always shocking to me when I see someone who's primarily uh, comedic and then they go for drama and then they just nail it. Yeah, because they totally change their personas. Maybe it's because, yeah. Honestly, yeah, you're probably right, because when you see it the other way around, you just kind of forget about them after the movie. When you see a dramatic actor go for comedy, it doesn't always work out. Yeah. An example off the top of my head is someone like Jim Carrey, who's known equally for his comedy roles Mm. and dramatic performances as well. He can do it all. But would you be able to see someone like, I don't know, who's someone really famous for dramatic acting? Would you be able to see, like, Daniel Day-Lewis doing The Mask? (laughs) God, no. Ace Ventura. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. God. Probably not. No, you don't see that. Yeah. But yeah, Charlie is... Interesting. His positivity is, I think, to me, one of the... Uh, his defining characteristic. I'll get to... One of my main criticisms of the movie is... You were just saying how he's the most positive person in the movie. I 
was annoyed by how self-righteous and dour <laughs> and depressed everybody else was the entire time. I'm like, just screw off. Lighten up, people. Why are you so depressed? I know your lives suck. I get that. I sympathize to an extent. But you don't make it easy. Self-pity is not something I like very much. It's, it's very hard to root for you when you're constantly complaining. Mm. And I give Charlie, a, I give a couple, I give a couple of those characters a pass, except for um, the Ellie? minister kid. Oh him, yeah. No, no, I give her a pass too because uh, the nurse and Ellie, both of their lives are kind of affected in a big way by Charlie, so yeah. they're probably not the most positive. But I see where you're coming from, yeah. and I get it. I get it. It's not that they have bad reasons to be no. upset. It's just that in real life, I know plenty of people who've had a lot of terrible things happen to them. And they don't go around all the time complaining about it. And the people who mm -hmm. do do that, I don't really talk to anymore because they're buzzkills. I don't like to be around that all the time. You just, you need a little, you know, it's bad to keep things bottled in when it comes to, like, you, you got to talk about things. But when the problems in your life are what you're known for, that's a problem. And all these yeah. people give me that vibe, except Charlie. Charlie's the only one who's like, yeah, a lot of bad things happen to this guy, but, you know, he's, he's a positive presence. He tries to see the benefits in life. He's literally dying, but he's the happiest guy in the room. So I root for him the most because, mm -hmm. like, hey, you know what? This guy is hopeful and he makes me feel better. And, I mean, that's the point of the movie, really. He makes everybody feel better, even though he's got it the worst. He's dying. And all these people's problems are trivial in comparison, and he's the one trying to make them feel better for most of the movie. That's where the real tragedy lays. But my criticism is mm -hmm. just, they're a little too much for me for most of the movie. <laughs> yeah, especially a man who's probably in worse conditions than they are, and spreading so much positivity that they don't really try that hard to be positive around him. And yeah. I, I, I can see why... Uh, I can see why some people would have a problem with that, but I like that Key was the only one to do it because it made me, it made me not bored watching Charlie at all. I was always invested watching him, and yeah, it made me so sad when he would get into his manic episodes. Especially, I sent this to you over text. Where how is one of I'm I haven't seen a lot of stuff this year in terms of horror, but how is like one of the most disturbing scenes in 2022 not from someone dying or getting murdered or all that stuff but it's from someone binge eating for like five minutes straight i was deeply uncomfortable watching that the whole time because it's very well set up right you know he's got yeah this health condition that could kill him at any time you know that his overeating is the main contributor and mm -hmm. he knows he's gonna die within the week anyway so there's a scene where he's at the bottom of his emotions and just self-pitying a lot and he, this is where he finally does break down and he just starts scarfing down as much food as he possibly can and it's kind of disgusting and just hard to watch <laughs> he just mm -hmm. you know he's he's like putting doritos on sandwiches and with jam and stuff he's making the worst concoctions possible and just shoving it in his face it's it's very grotesque, but that's the point. Yeah. And he's, he's like, he's, it's suicide by food. 
is nearly what it's like watching here. And that's why it's so uncomfortable, because we know it's killing him, and he's going out of his way to nearly make himself worse. Hmm. Yeah, so. he's not... He doesn't want to go to the hospital because he says it's for because of health insurance, whatever. But he has he has tons of money. He's got more money than we have combined. <laughs> That's because we're young, uh, and it's because he wants to give it all away to his daughter, who is a complete piece of shit. But <laughs> it's the only like good thing in his life, and saying like that's the one thing that was good in my life is that I had you, and you were such a, you know, you're like the future, and I want to make sure you're okay. But yeah, just to go back to those scenes, the reason I found it so depressing is for, like, I'm going to get a little vulnerable. But I've always struggled with weight, and especially growing up and uh, leaving hometown to go to college, I gained so much weight around college. They call it the freshman 15. I probably had freshman 30. That's probably what I gained. And yes, over the years, I've been able to cut down, which is pretty cool, but just... Relationship with food, the relationship with food has always been a difficult one. So seeing a film like this was a little shocking to me, but it also wasn't done overly comedic or drawn. It took it very seriously, and I appreciated how they did it. No, they didn't play it for Um, comedy at all. No, I think it's done. It's done very well, and it does show how, uh, like excessive obesity is much more than just a physical problem, but also a mental one, where there's so much negativity that goes on in Charlie's life that the only positive thing he can find is food, which is why it's so heartbreaking where he thinks he's, this is what I was talking about earlier, when he was, he thinks he's going to develop a friendship with the pizza guy, Dan, and they're having this friendly conversation week to week, or sorry, day to day, and the last time he goes out to get his pizzas, I think, Dan, like, waits by the stairs to actually see Charlie for the first time, and as soon as he sees him, he's horrified. And that's just so hard, and he runs away, and it's so heartbreaking because it just feeds in this fact into Charlie's mind that he's, you know, he thinks he's disgusting, he thinks he's, like, this awful monster, and the only way to make him feel at peace is through food. And part of me relates to that in a little bit, where food for me is a bit of a comfort, but I have found ways to not just chow down on food for um yeah. for comfort but yeah it's it's done it's done very well yeah you know for I, I can relate to that as well because i was i was a fat kid as well and i've always kind of had body image issues ever since i always health yeah. is a pretty big thing for me now always trying to progressively just make myself better, you know, mostly for my own good. But every time I look in the mirror, I'm also judging myself. And so I, I get that a lot too. But that's also that partially... That food court, man. That fucking had, York U food court. <laughs> I counted up my receipts from first year. I had Wendy's 72 times that I had receipts for. Justin and I went basically Damn. every single day. We kept all our receipts. Two junior That's cheese, where all our fucking... That's where all uh, our no, tuition no went to. Not was the multiple food courts. Oh, no, it was bad. <laughs> That's for while our tuition went to. I, have, I wasn't able to eat Wendy's for a solid three years after that first year. Oh, yeah. Time. Yeah. But yeah. My, my point was, you know, even though because I have some self-image issues as well, I look at a film like this and see. But I also, I take that and experience and criticize the film a little bit 
because as much as I can respect them saying it's a it's a mental health thing is a is a large contributor to it so they go there but i think the film also sends some mixed messages because the part that bugged me was that his friend the nurse is she kind of has charlie's life in her hands right i mean he doesn't mm-hmm. want to go to the hospital and she is his main caretaker but there's really no in, an enabler in, yeah yeah she's an enabler she there's really no indication in the movie that she does anything but try to take care of him she kind of half-heartedly dissuades him oh you shouldn't do this you're gonna die uh maybe you should go to the hospital oh i'll bring you a wheelchair but even when she gets mad at him she comes back probably because she knows he's dying but there's no consequences for for uh their relationship even though he lied to her and about why he was dying and forced her to take care of him all these years that he to be clear caused to himself so she's doing mm-hmm. all these things for him when he's doing all these things to himself and yes the mental health struggle the reason is important but at the end of the day he's doing all these things to himself and the movie sympathizes with that but it doesn't sugarcoat that um but the one part that got me in particular was when she's criticizing him about, oh, how he's going to die. And then she brings him a sandwich, even though she's like, oh, you shouldn't have this. You shouldn't have this. And then yeah. she gives him the sub anyway, and he chokes on it. So all these, that's why I think it's kind of mixed messages. It's mm-hmm. on the I, one hand. I sort of agree. Go yeah, ahead. Go on, the, ahead. On, on the one hand, it's saying, oh, yeah, this obesity is a, is a tragic result of trauma and we should sympathize with charlie um but it's also saying yeah this guy's killing himself and we're just gonna let him do it because Mm -hmm. reasons so is it saying it's okay to be this way or is it saying this is a problem and it needs to be helped or you will die both are, I'm more on the side of, this is a problem. It's a problem you can I hear be what, sympathetic. I hear what you're saying. It's a problem you can be sympathetic to, but it's, it's still a yeah. health problem. It's serious. It needs to be addressed before it got that bad. And I just got the feeling Charlie never really got helped until it was too late. He was just enabled. Yeah. I feel like because it, it's so tough because I, I understand where you're coming from. and. I, I had the same uh, criticisms with you as I was watching it. And then the connection was brought up that uh, Liz, right? Liz is the nurse's name? Yep. Liz's brother was, uh, Charlie, was Charlie's boyfriend, Alan. And she was taking care of him while he wasn't eating because he was cast out by the church and his family and really only had Liz and Alan. And, oh, sorry, and Charlie... And Charlie thought, if I just love Alan, he'll be okay. You know, I don't really need to take him anywhere. Um, and then, but Liz was over there, you know, constantly going to help until Alan, uh, spoiler alert, Alan kills himself. And so I feel like in some way, Liz also feels responsible for Charlie in that sense, because they were in the same house when Alan was going through that. But it's, it's such a slippery slope because... It's weird. Um, you can't really... 
I understand what you're saying, but you can't really... F- this is tackling, like, real-life issues. You can't yeah. force anybody to go to get help if they're refusing it. It's yeah, really... Str- even though they're, even though they're clearly... See, I just wanted to see her, her look like she was giving more of an effort to try... Like, I just I, didn't yeah, get the impression you. she was trying very hard, and that sends mixed messages mm-hmm. to the audience. I think that's her how flaw, to deal though. with the problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand I from, she's a, from a character more point of, of like, view. Yeah. Yeah. Playing more like a sister instead of more of like a nurse in that sense, where I think yeah. her professionalism is sort of cast aside a little bit. It's compromised. Uh, but sure. there are people, sadly, there are people like that in the real world. I mean, there's this. You know the show, like when we were growing up, like my 800-pound life or whatever, and yep. there's a whole bunch of families there where, you know, the mom wants the, the son to, you know, go to hospital, get taken care of, but she's still feeding him this, like, trash every day. So, yeah. like, so I think that's just the flaw where maybe it's just she just loves him, so, not in that way, but she just loves him enough that she can't really say no to him because he is this type of person where he's just a, he is kind of a positive in her life, but also a negative in her life at the same time. And I was waiting for yeah. her, I was waiting for a blow up scene to be like, well, what about uh, like any character? Like, what about us? Like, do you not care that when you die, you're, it's going to affect us? But that never happened either because they don't want to have blamed Charlie for anything. So. Yeah, it's just it's. I think it's a great movie of (laughs) showing how people, when people can't deal with uh, their mental health, when people don't really like confronting each other, unless it's the drunk mom, (laughs) she doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) Oh no, she was she was great. I think the movie asks a couple difficult questions. To me, the two prominent ones Mm -hmm. are: should we feel badly for people who mostly cause their own problems? And should we go out of our way to help those people, even if it'll hurt us? I think the whale says yes to both. Mm-hmm. But they're still... It's so tricky, man. It still opens up because you can't, avenues for debate. Yeah, because you don't want to see anybody get in their own way, but also you can't control any person individually. So you kind of yes. have to let them make their own mistakes and let them but, go through but, their own... But how far? But, also, but the problem is, how far do you go there? You can make your own mistakes, I mean, that's, but what's the yeah. tipping point before you're out of control and you shouldn't be allowed to make your own mistakes anymore? I mean, that's been the argument for the past however centuries, you know. Yeah, with the whole thing, but because like with Liz, everybody's right? you know, supposed to have free will, you know. Because with Liz, for example, right? It started off, okay, yeah, we have a mutual grief over my brother Alan. Oh, and Charlie mm-hmm. is in his trauma. He's starting to overeat. Okay, as a nurse, I know that's unhealthy, but I'll let him make that mistake because I can't control him. But where's the tipping point where you're 600 pounds now and I have to come over every day to do everything for you? Clean up your house, bring you all your food, take you to the washroom, help clean you up. You do, like, I have to do everything for you. So he took himself mistake- to the washroom. <laughs> I, okay, he did. But she helped him there. Which physically, physically impossible. I don't know how he's even able to walk. Well, my my point is, at the end of the day, it started off, okay, Charlie's making mistakes and I'm Mm going to let him. But at a certain point, Charlie's mistakes became Liz's daily responsibility. Right. So there's a line where your mistakes... There's a line. There's a a line. um, I've heard this turn of phrase before where the right to swing your fist stops at my nose. So it's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want until it starts affecting other people. 
So Charlie can overeat as much as he wants, as long as it just affects him. But once it starts affecting other people, that's when it gets tricky. Mm -hmm. And it did affect I think this, people. It was yeah. I think this film shows a good reason why you should, and people in this situation, especially with morbid obesity, where if you don't, quote, with, for lack of a better word, force them to get help, this is a potential, not potential, this is a probable outcome where Liz is too far, in my opinion, Liz is too far over the line where she can no longer help uh, Charlie and he, she's just enabling him the whole time. Like, she's too far gone. He's going to die in yeah. a week when this film opens up. But you can't go the uh, other way. You can't be so forceful because then people stop listening to you. Yeah. That they, put, they push exactly. you away because they're sick of being forced. Like, maybe they know it's for their own good, mm -hmm. but you, don't, you also don't want to be around the person always trying to force you to do stuff. Right. Like, that's another extreme you can't get to either. What's the happy medium? Who knows? But the film opens up interesting avenues for discussion, I think. Yeah. About uh, health problems specifically, mental health, physical health, how that affects the people around you. Uh, yeah, let's talk. Should we talk about, about the other actors? The other, yeah, some of the other actors. I was just gonna say, let's talk about. Uh, uh, well, we're talking about Liz. I just want to. Hong Chow is probably the second best. Uh, the great. second best performance in this movie. Her stare was She's super so intimidating. Every time she glared at somebody, I was like, mm -hmm. Ugh, I, that, I would "We've not all want had this one friend. <laughs> We've all had this mm -hmm. one friend. Not not in the sense of her being an enabler, but." Where they can both poke fun at each other, but also give like a serious glare, and then you're just like, "Sorry, we tell a joke." I was trying to think of We've who all the had serious. This friend. I was trying to think of who the serious glare friend is in my life, and then I realized it's me. It's you. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that can kill the look. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Oh, uh, but yeah, it's weird. Um, I loved even like Liz's monologue talking about Alan. That was a shock in the movie. I didn't think that they were going to be related. It was a good at twist, all. and yeah. then a good twist where Major like, oh my god, and they used, and that made me understand why she's still helping Charlie a little bit. Yeah, and it's just like li little details like that are great, and it's so funny because this film is not only it has messages against morbid obesity, but it also has messages against the church in a way, <laughs> in some ways more than one, but also for it. I'm going to criticize that whole storyline because I didn't, I didn't feel that one at all. Like, that New yeah. Life Church thing did nothing for me. No. Because we're not, we're not men of religion or really faith for that matter. Or I don't know if you are. No, faith, it's, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Like, I just think a good story well told is worth watching. And this storyline just wasn't interesting to me as a viewer. I don't care what it's about. Yeah. Like, I don't know, the character of, what's his name? Was it? Thomas. Um, Thomas, yeah. Thomas, yeah. Thomas just has he been really... in other stuff before? Because I recognized I him, but I couldn't. I think it he out. has. Yeah, Thomas is just kind of boring to me. The most he came to being interesting was when Ellie confronts him about his past, where he stole the stole the money and hopped off on a bus and tried to continue the church's mission. That was the scene I was most interested in him. But then he kind of got boring again when he came back to Charlie later, and he's like, yeah, I've had a revelation. It was because you were gay. That's the problem. And then I'm like, okay, oh, you learned shit. nothing. Your character learned. He's the learned. kid from Iron Man 3. Really? Yeah. I had the same, oh my god, I had the same question when he showed up in Endgame at the funeral. Oh, 
at the end of Endgame where he showed up with all the other people. And uh, I was like, who's that kid? And you look him up. It's like, oh, it's the kid from Iron Man 3 because nobody recognized him because he had such that's a growth spurt. So that's who he is, huh? He was also, he's also been in the Insidious movie and also Jurassic World. He's actually got a quite a good career if you think about it. But yeah, I just didn't like that character because he didn't really have an arc and he didn't really learn anything. The closest he came to a tipping point in his arc was kind of fake because then he comes back to the apartment saying, yeah, the problem was you were gay. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah. you, did, you didn't learn anything about sympathy or empathy or I'm like, you, you mm-hmm. just grew negative nearly. I'm like, okay, so you're boring. Yeah. Not worth my time. And then he just doesn't, and then he just runs away and doesn't come back. Uh, I, I kind of think... appreciated, I kind of appreciate the storyline a little bit because I kind of like when people in movies criticize the church. <laughs> I don't li- listen. Take, if yeah. you're if you're a man if you're a man of faith or a man of the church, that's good for you. Wh- whatever you believe in is is fine with me as long as it's not hurtful towards others. Once again, but you're right to swing your fist that... opposite my nose. If your belief is mm-hmm. like you can believe in what yeah. you want, but. If it har- if it harms other people, take a yeah, look at if yourself you're Catholic, in the mirror. If you're if you're Muslim, Anybody. if you're Buddhist, I don't care. It's it's fine. It's your belief, but don't I don't like it when it's try to be, it's forced on others or if it's used to hurt other people. That's just the only thing. And and I kind of like when films kind of use crit- take that criticism for it and put it into their movies. Where okay, Thomas is just kind of a lost cause, and this just happens to people. And I think if they played more into more of Thomas's insecurities and maybe if he was turned out to be gay, that would have been a yeah, better okay, thing would have been the storyline. Inter- that would have been an interesting Or maybe, that's just, closet, maybe that's just more subtle. You can take it from there. Yeah. It, it's not well, like he's straight because I don't think he's attracted to uh, Ellie in any way, but no. well, I mean, there was look at it. He did have that history as a bit of a delinquent, which is the most he has. Yeah of depth but i don't know i didn't really care for him um i you think stealing he, a bible from another person's house is a sin <laughs> not that it matters yes, but <laughs> yes it is i think uh thou shalt not steal even if it's a bible oh yeah uh oh, yeah man. i didn't uh i didn't like ellie i actually i spent most of the movie no i don't think it, you're supposed to I spent most of the movie actively rooting against her, though, which is the problem. I didn't want her to reconcile mm-hmm. with Charlie because I'm like, dude, she's not worth it. Let this girl go. I know you want to reconcile <laughs> with your daughter before you die, but don't. It's not worth it for your final days to deal with this crap, man. I hear you. And I wish she did have a bit more of a redemption near the end, but I think she's just so broken because we, we never leave the apartment, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. So we don't really see. The rea- the reality of her life and her mom's life living together. We just hear different tales from both of them. And she is a teenager in this. And though teenagers can be cruel, this is the most extreme I've ever seen in my life. It's so where... extreme. But also you, you have to take from the psychosis of a teenager. If they're being cruel and if they're being like attacking you and something going on in their life is most likely they're being uh, abused in some sort of way, you know, mostly mentally in this film for Ellie. And I was now, a little scared I because... Say, I, w- uh, I was a little scared for Sadie Sink because I was like, oh no, she's just playing Max from season two of Stranger <laughs> Things right now. 
but even when uh, Thomas is over, and she has she's she's a great actress. I'm not saying she did terrible. I think she played the character very well for how it was directed. I just wish she would was redeemed a bit more. But what was your point? Uh, yeah, my point was I started feeling a little bit of sympathy for her when they said she was bullied online and kind of grew up in a bad mm-hmm. house and her dad abandoned her. And I lost a lot of sympathy when the mom came back and, well, she drugged Charlie and then the mom comes in and is like, yeah, she's posting videos about you online. She makes fun of us all the time. She, she's an online bully herself. I'm like, okay. She blackmails Thomas too. Yeah. Which was ultimately well, she for a good reason. Him, but also, yeah, it's weird. To get him out with his family, but anyway, that's, These that's a twist These kids today for later. and their internet. <laughs> yeah. The point is, she is somewhat sympathetic, but she's also a terrible person in many, many ways. Yeah. I think whatever good she does for Thomas, the good out, the harm she causes outweighs the good. And she's, mm-hmm. she's just mean right up until the end. Right she's even very the very last... Right, even the very last scene when Charlie finally convinces her to read the the essay and all that, she's still mean even till up to the very last second. And I'm like, Ugh. yeah, like your acting is fantastic, Sadie. I wish Singh. she, yeah, it's fantastic, but your character is just insufferable mostly. The direction of her character is not great. No, do you think? Nah, she's probably not that she's too young, but maybe she just doesn't have. Do you think Sadie or Liz will be nominated? For not because Brendan's getting nominated for sure. Lit, yeah, probably Liz. Liz. Best supporting actor. I don't think she's being like for best. I think Sadie is technically the female. No, lead for of the supporting. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, best yeah. supporting. Which, in terms of that technically, category, Sadie would be. Uh, I don't know. I think she'd be lead. I th- be yeah, but I think the way Oscar. Uh, I don't. I think the way this movie works is that Charlie's the lead, and then everybody else is supporting. So maybe yeah, there has to be Sadie there has would be cast in supporting. But there would have to be a a lead actress, wouldn't there? If you're going to nominate multiple so. people. Well, if you're going to nominate multiple people from the film, then yeah, probably. Then Sadie Singh is the saying, lead, yeah. the best actress, and Hong Chao is the best supporting actress. Yeah, but they kinda, how I, would, I don't know. That's how I, I, I would how categorize it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they, they work stupidly. Have we know the that. same amount of scenes, though. They need they need Oscars for voice acting and for stunts that's what they need i yeah. need they need categories for that yeah that'd be pretty well, cool voice acting is technically acting it doesn't matter who cares it's definitely too easy too easy well to probably do what we hate the oscars podcast just before this year's oscars i'm not saying hate as an up-and-coming actor so <laughs> don't fucking let me in with that <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I don't hate the Oscars either. I just, I'm just wink. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. Uh. It's been cut to man. me in 20 years winning an Oscar for something. I hate best, you all. <laughs> uh, what what's that stupid award they had? Uh, best popular picture. And I'd like to thank the Academy for creating this stupid category to give me a chance. Because I, I don't got make rid of it like three months later. Good. <laughs> Uh, oh, right, who else is in there? I but, think uh, the, let's I talk about the mom. The mom? I don't have much to say on her. She was good. Uh, I liked yeah. I liked her her first reaction to Charlie was was an anger. It was almost 
it was a bit of sympathy and it was also just a bit of sadness where this was a man she like loved for years and had a child with so there's some sympathy there so and i think that that part kind of broke me a little bit so i think she's very good she's also in the walking dead apparently oh really i can't tell you which character but and max Uh, and ruby sorry let's see her name (laughs) is uh samantha morton is the actress's name yeah so i think she and her scene with charlie is very good but what made me sympathize with Ellie a lot is her relationship between her and her mother. Because with her mother, it's just nothing but anger and cold-heartedness. Like she, The mom's always yelling at Ellie, which yeah. I can't really take. I can't take the mom too seriously when, it's, when, they, when she talks about how Ellie's evil. And it's like, well, why is Ellie evil? Are you treating her because you think she's evil or is she actually evil? Because the mom is a heavy drinker. Yeah, so her perspective on the world is skewed mm-hmm. by that, I'm sure. Yeah, but her her scene with Charlie brings out the best acting from Charlie. Where uh, in in this movie, uh, this scene is probably his best, and probably one of the scenes at the end where Charlie is, you know, he's just like, I just want to know I did one right thing in my life, and um, yeah. Yeah, I just think, fuck, Brendan Fraser just knocks it out of the park. So good in this. Uh, okay, so I got a lot more to cover. We'll just breeze through it because we're... Uh, I think a huge boon for this movie is its tiny cast. I love that it's uh, like five characters set in one location the entire mm-hmm. time. It's almost like a play. I think it is based on a play, actually. Oh. The screenplay was adapt. The screenplay was adapted from a from a play, so that makes a lot of sense. I oh, love the I the see. apartment. So I love the the tiny characters. It was very focused. All the characters for my criticisms are still three dimensional characters. They're pretty well explored. We can talk all the this whole time about their psyches and their motivations and treat them like they're real people, even though I don't like how they were portrayed. I still appreciate. <laughs> how they were written in many ways, even though the dialogue itself feels mostly like subtext to me. It wasn't really, it just feels like, oh, I bet you any exactly. money, I bet you any money psych classes are going to assign this movie as a curriculum in schools. hundred percent. Yeah. But there's like, so much subtext in this. Yeah. But it's all out loud is the screenplay is not very subtle. Everyone's just saying their most raw emotions no. to each other, which it works. But as a writer, I'm just like, okay, it's not very subtle. Uh, but because it's so raw, it's also a little bit cringy sometimes in a good way, I think. Where it's just everyone mm-hmm. saying how much they hate each other and they're all acting their hearts out. And it's so, it's like, ooh, I don't think I should be in this room watching this conversation. <laughs> it feels a little too real. You felt uncomfortable, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not cringy because it's bad. It's cringy because they're having a really hard conversation and it's just uncomfortable to watch so uh we were talking about before about how you don't find out everything up front and i think that's a really about the mystery about alan specifically so i thought the screenplay Mm -hmm. was kind of smart for withholding some stuff up front even though it's a relatively by the numbers drama there's a Mm -hmm. lot of 
mystery elements that keep you guessing. Oh, why did Charlie become this way? How did his relationship with Ellie deteriorate and his family? And who's Alan? And why does Liz caretake for him? And who's this Thomas guy who keeps trying to come to his door? Yeah. Will he ever meet Glenn I also kind of like... I also kind of like how you don't really see Charlie and Alan. You don't see Charlie and Alan together at all. Alan's not really in this movie except for pictures and, you know, words yeah. on paper. And I kind of like how you either have to take, you have to believe what Charlie's saying fully or because he was, Alan was a student of Charlie for the longest time. And he says, well, we didn't do anything till he wasn't my student anymore. Still and sketchy. And fell in love together. So it's a, bit sketchy in that sense so you kind of have to take with a grain of salt and also but i the way i took it was is he telling the truth or is there more to the story than that where yeah you know because of alan had an eating disorder as well so we don't see the we don't see the full picture and i really like that and i like how it's never answered as well yeah now to be fair with the whole student thing a lot of people might make that out as creepier than it is. They probably imagine him as a child or something when he was probably yeah. a grown man. Just Oh, yeah, well, she clarifies college, college by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though a lot of people would probably be like, oh, this professor is taking advantage of his student. These mentor-student relationships like that are always going to be a little sketchy because of the power dynamic. But he was an adult, yep. which makes it better. Mm. For what it's worth. Uh, Makes it better. <laughs> better. It's still Put an asterisk on that. <laughs> and I think it adds to Charlie's character because yeah. as, as positive as he is and as much as we want to root for this guy, he did abandon his family. He does lie to his friend about all the money he saved. He did mm-hmm. end up dating his student and cheating on his wife. And he's done a lot of bad stuff in his past which the Mm -hmm. film doesn't ask you to forgive but it does offer some clarifications for and you can make up your own mind it's complex there's no clear-cut answers here although we can say he was wrong for it we don't have to say he's a bad guy just blanket no he's just done bad things yeah so uh, let's see. Let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, I was wondering, why do you think it always rains outside the apartment? I feel it's like Iowa, a... man. <laughs> I was wondering probably if it rains be... there all the time. <laughs> I was wondering if it might be a metaphor, like the whale surrounded uh, by water all the time. It's possible. Well, there's a lot of references to Moby Dick, and I've never read the book because it wasn't assigned to us during school. Uh, and I think, I think it rains in that book a lot. So maybe there's a tie in there, but Interesting. I th- I just think it's where they are because they're in Iowa, which is the Northern part or is it Idaho? I don't remember. They, they say both States and it's the more Northern part of uh, America. So the weather there is not great in some parts of the year, but, uh, yeah, it's probably just to add, uh, tension or, you know, the tone. Yeah. All right, so before we wrap up, I have to talk about my controversial take on the ending. This is where I I jump through the screen. Yeah. (laughs) Ryan's going to be mad at me. You're all going to be mad at me. This is an infuriating Uh, take on it. uh, He hasn't told me yet. (laughs) No, no. Look, so this is just how my mind works, okay? So the ending of the movie 
we finally find out that this Moby Dick essay that he's had this entire time was written by his daughter. What and a twist. Gets, I thought it was by Alan. Yeah, and he gets Ellie to read it for him just before he dies. And at the beginning of the movie, he couldn't stand up and walk over to her. He failed in that. But at the end of the movie, it finally stops raining. Ellie opens the door. The light's shining on, on her. The, it's super dramatic. Alan gets up and dramatically walks over to her. She's reading the essay, and then he dies. And there's a flash of light. And I know it's supposed to be super dramatic, and the music's swelling, and everybody's, like, crying at this point. And I was starting to get emotionally invested in it, too. And then my dark humor mind goes, did he just fall on her at the end? <laughs> he dies I right... Make, oh, I thought you were going to make a beam-me-up Scotty joke. <laughs> no, he dies standing right in front of her. I'm like, so does Ellie... Here's how... Does the, I'm like, so does the last frame of the movie, like, right after the fade-out... Ellie gets crushed by this 600-pound man, and that's Here's the, how I the took real it. ending. This is kind of getting a little bit philosophical, but I don't think he's actually standing up. I think he's still in okay. his chair, because you see the whole movie from Charlie's perspective. Well, mostly. And you, I think he's still in his chair, and he's imagining walking up to his daughter for the first time, because uh, he's seen the there. light the whole time as he's walked, so it's like her, his spirit. Because this man that you see him try to get up earlier, it's physically impossible for him to do it. It's too much strain on his heart. It's too much strain on his actual muscles. So I don't think physically it was impossible for him to do it. However, I cannot deny that I had the same thought in my head <laughs> before I had this physical. Like, if he falls, she's fucked. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's how like, I took it. Because even like, he falls, and the way he I dies. took it was the way I took it was because. Ellie's character smiles for the first time, and also mm -hmm. there's the beam of light. And it reminded me a lot of the ending in Birdman, which, funny enough, is a movie that almost came out 10 years ago, I think. 2013 it was? No, Fif it was 14. 15. What am I saying? 13. Yeah, 14. F 14. Jesus, we're old. Anyway, mm. 2013 was 10 years ago, Joe. Anyway. Birdman is the movie but my family calls to specifically to talk about how much they hate drama movies like that. They're like, oh, is it going to be I don't another? I think it was that good either. Is it going to be yeah. another Birdman? Like, I didn't mind the movie myself, but that's my family's shorthand for is this going to be yeah. like melodramatic crap? Mm -hmm. I don't think it was that your, good either, but I like the acting in it. Your point is the ending is a bit. What's bit the like word it's I'm a little philosophical because in because in Birdman you maybe see jumps out the window, maybe Birdman. not. Yeah, you you see him jump Sorry. out. You see the windows open. Yeah. And uh, Emma Stone's character, who is the daughter, looks at the ground, which we think, oh, his body's on the ground. But then he looks up. She looks up and sees, you know, is it Michael Keaton's character flying away or is it his soul flying away? And you know what? I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to apologize for spoiling Birdman. Don't watch it. That's the close up recommendation. <laughs> it's not worth your time. <laughs> uh, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it's it was amazing. It's okay. I think people like the one shot of it. The one shot in this when it's, it's not a cool, really. It's a cool gimmick, but whatever. It helped with Michael Keaton's comeback a little bit. That movie and then the movie next year was Best Picture and Michael Keaton was in both of them. What was, was pretty uh, cool if you ask me. Spotlight. What was the Best Picture? Spotlight. 
He was also in The Founder around that time. That was a great movie, too. He's pretty... That's a good movie. I like that movie. It's, it's one I don't know how many people have seen, but I just watched it one time. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is really cool. I recommend it. Yeah. The story of McDonald's it's is the, pretty interesting. It's like the social network, but for McDonald's. That's how I see it. The social network for fast food. Yeah. I think it's really good. Michael Keaton's great in it. And he wasn't nominated. Anyway. Boo, yes. <sighs> He'll be nominated for The too. Flash if that movie mm-hmm. comes out. Ever. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's uh, wrap up our thoughts here, and I'll try to rush through some stuff on Babylon. Oh, I know we talked about I know we talked about the makeup, but uh, it said like what I just looked up here. It took him six hours to get into it, and Yikes. it was so hot that he had to have like five bags of ice to keep cool and not overheat. Which ridiculous! God, that must be to be able to act and still be like a positive character in some ways, and just be that amount of heat. That's insane. But I think this, uh, the, like, the set is really cool, how it's all in one place. Even the lighting feels natural, too. Um, I think it was set around around 2016, because on screen you see the Republican candidate voting or whatever, something oh. like that. Interesting. That, that was my take from it, because we haven't done, they haven't done, like, because Donald Trump is being voted in or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, I assume it's around that time because, you know, Ellie's using Facebook. Who's using <sighs> Facebook now? Anyway. Well, h- nobody her age. People our age do. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but kids in uh, high school true. don't use Facebook anymore. Kids in high school did in 2016 because I was in high school in 2016. That's what I mean. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Because so... that's why I'm just saying it's like not set today. So on the whole, the whale is... I had a lot of problems with it, but I, I like a lot about it from a technical level. The story just mm-hmm. made me uncomfortable and not really in a pleasant way. Yeah, that's not but your I'm kind sure. of movie, yeah. No, I just don't like the straight dramas most of the time because I can appreciate them. I can get emotionally invested in them and I get emotional investment out of them. But ones like this where just everybody's super depressed all the time and everything's melodramatic and people are mm-hmm. having big crying scenes and the whole thing is just set in one apartment and it's just I don't know, it's not really my idea of good entertainment. It's just so dour and depressing and I like more escapism than reflections of the world I already know. Like I know the world isn't the happiest place all the time. You know the world sucks. <laughs> I don't think it sucks like outright. There's a lot of good in it, but dramas like this just tend to reflect the most dramatic parts of it, and I don't always want to see that. It's just maybe that speaks to my emotional maturity. I don't know. I can handle it. I just don't really like to most you of the just, time. You're not, you just don't want to seek it, seek it out, yeah. Not most of the time. Yeah, and go into this I, movie. Go to this movie in a good mood because you're gonna come out in a bad one. Yeah, I mean, I review <laughs> films, so I, I review films, so I got to see some stuff, especially if I hear some buzz around it. And I appreciate all of it on a technical mm-hmm. level, but I'm never gonna watch this thing again. It's pretty good for what it is, and a lot of people like Ryan, who likes dramas. If you like dramas, you'll yeah. probably like it. But if you're someone like me who prefers escapism, it's still worth a watch. But uh, it, it's pretty good, but it's uh, it's going to be a tough one to get through, I think. For sure. Not as tough as Birdman. Well, 
No, Bird, well, Birdman was tough because it was slow. <laughs> this one, this one, I was invested most of the time. This I was just about emotional. to compare it to. I was about to compare it to Wakanda Forever, but that's because that one's like almost three hours long. No, this one got me more invested than Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever, as I already discussed, mm. is very cheap though because it's trying to. It gains all your emotion out of a real life tragedy. It's not doing whatever. Watch the Wakanda Forever review. I go off about it. I have a very Don't long post this clip. I've got a very long rant about it, about that. Oh man. Oh, but, uh, I just remind me. I had a rant. I'm so mad that Warner Brothers or Discovery Plus, whoever's running Warner Brothers now, canceled Batgirl because, like, how dare they? How dare they do that in the midst of a Brandon Fraser comeback? Where he, you see him as a villain for the first time, and as an obscure one like Firefly, where I think the only serious take he's ever been in is in the Arkham games, and even that, he's pretty silly. And just to see Brendan Fraser, uh, Fraser, Brendan Fraser as a villain, I thought would have been super cool. And even the Batgirl costume looked epic. I think it's gonna be one of those things. Maybe like years later, someone's gonna be like, release Batgirl, and it's gonna be like an unfinished product or whatever. Yeah, I feel like the same thing happened with Firefly in a way, but yeah. I'd like to see it eventually, but it ever. I'm not going to miss it, to be honest. If I never see it, I'll forget about it. Like, oh yeah, there oh, was a Batgirl sure. movie they nearly made. I just don't oh. like when um, films are like canceled mid-project because of dumb reasons, you know? Yeah. Business-wise, it was a smart decision, but just in terms of film, I think it's kind of dumb all right so do you want but to yeah i really love up? this movie i really love this movie i actually just put it in my top 10 and i removed kenobi because <laughs> that was the one with the asterisk beside it and it's i put it at number two and bumped everything else down so oh wow i, I which is it's over the batman but just that's because i like more like they're both dramatic movies but i found i think it's just recency biased right now where even though i've watched the batman recently i just really like this movie and if anybody's wondering, I watched this movie before we made our top 10 list, and it doesn't change a thing. Because you're a All cynical right. bastard, and you don't care about drama. This is a movie for cynical bastards. <laughs> Everyone in this movie is a cynical bastard. <laughs> That's Except true. Charlie. Something mm. less cynical now. We're going to move on to Babylon, which Ryan didn't see. Tell us, why didn't you see it? Because I and heard will you, it sucked. And will you ever? <laughs> no. I don't know. It's weird because I like the actors in it. I like Brad Pitt. I like Marco Robbie. I like uh, Tobey Maguire. And then there's an up-and-coming actor as well. Is his name Diego? Or is that his name in the movie? His name is Diego Calva. Okay, Diego. And like it... I don't know. It, it looked okay through the trailers, but I couldn't figure out what the story was through the trailers, which isn't always a negative, but it didn't really sell me on anything besides here's a party about old Hollywood for like three hours. And then I've just heard from like friends I closely trust where it was a struggle for him to finish the movie. And yeah, I just don't really have a care for it. And also, whenever I don't know what it is about me, mates, because I'm just like mob mentality or whatever, but when both parties on Rotten Tomatoes, both critics and audiences agree, 
it tends to <laughs> be the same. But I that have, helps. like, different opinions on, yeah. That helps me be like, I might skip this one. Well, I never have controversial it's opinions also three, on movies. It's also three hours long. It's also three hours long. And I just came from watching Avatar and watching two three-hour movies in the same, like, around the same time Span. is a bit much. Yeah, I thought so, too, but I saw it anyway. Because I'm a big fan of Damien Chazelle. He's one of my favorite working directors today. His last three movies are exceptional. Uh, Whiplash, La La Land, First Man. Whiplash and La La Land are two of my favorite movies of the last decade. If I were to make a top ten mm-hmm. list of the last decade, both of those might be on there for their respective years. Because they both were, those movies are fantastic. Yeah, they were incredible. La La Land got robbed. Then again, I haven't seen Moonlight, so I'm sure it's I'm sure it's great. But La La Land is going to be an all time classic. Uh, so you haven't seen Moonlight? No, I missed out on that one. I'll get around to it. It's pretty good. I have a thing where I'm going to see all the best pictures eventually. <laughs> you can skip Green Book. Yeah. I just didn't really have an interest in it at the time, or it was unavailable. I don't remember why I never got around to it. Mm-hmm. But It's whatever. funny, right? Like, the best picture winner is always, like, not available for a while. Yeah, like Whiplash, for example. It's funny how that, that works. That, that one didn't win, but when it was nominated, I only saw it because it came to my little theater. In town. And didn't it win my, Best Screenplay? I th- it won something. J.K. Simmons won. I know J.K. Simmons won, but I think it won Screenplay or something. I could be wrong. And that screening was kind of cool because my, my music class teacher in high school was in a jazz band at the time. And they went to the theater just before the screening. Just like this little one-screen theater in oh. town that's been around for 90 years. And they played a little jazz show for like half an hour before the movie. That's and the movie's, cool. all, the movie's all about jazz, so it was really cool. A lot of the band came out from high school to go see the performance in the movie, too. So that was, that was a good night. A but yeah, Damien Chazelle, fantastic. Babylon, definitely his most controversial. If you're going by the Rotten Tomatoes scores and just word of mouth, it's... Um... Look, I'll say I was more entertained than First Man. First Man's a better movie, mind you. But I think this one's got more entertainment value. It's three hours long, and I was more just amused by it, if anything. It's Mm -hmm. flashier. It's faster-paced. It's more glitzy and glamour and kinetic energy. So it's just more of a fun ride all the way through. So, no, if we're going best of Damien Chazelle, this is at the bottom. If we're going most entertaining, probably still his third best. But it's uh, it's okay. Really, what this say, is? If you, if you put him above La La Land or Whiplash, I'm coming no. through the screen. Hell I no! F- I find a way. I will find a way, Joe, to come through the screen. You'll do it like uh, what, what's it called? Take on me. That's yeah. how you'll. That's what. <laughs> that's what you'll do. Or you'll suck me in. Uh, but yeah, this basically. Funny enough, as I was watching the movie, I realized. It's basically just singing in the rain, but serious is what this is. It's like, it's singing in the rain. If it was more melodramatic and set in 19, actually, no, singing in the rain was set at this time. And you know, the funny thing is the very ending of this movie skips forward from 1930 or so to 1952. And the main character of the movie 
ends up coming back to L.A. after many years away, and he goes to see a screening of Singing in the Rain. And in the movie, Hmm. he sees basically a recap of everything he's seen. He flashes back. There's when Gene Kelly's singing Singing in the Rain, he remembers that he also did a version of Singing in the Rain, and it was a crappy movie that everybody kind of forgot about. He, re- he sees this melodramatic acting, and he thinks back to Brad Pitt's character getting blasted for melodrama when sound came out, or just the struggles of the film industry adapting to sound technology, the, the big personalities of the actors, people with a lot of troubles who kind of got brushed under the radar, and the Hollywood machine tried to just take advantage of everybody under their system and use propaganda to just make themselves look great. The actors really struggled at the time. So he sees Singing in the Rain kind of making a trivial matter of the things he actually lived in 1920s Hollywood, and he starts to cry. But then he thinks back on more of the good times and uh, and realizes that at the very top of the movie, he meets Margot Robbie's character, Nellie Leroy, who's a no-name actress who just got to Hollywood. She's kind of from, uh, she's from New Jersey, and, you know, she's really pretty, but nobody wants to give her a shot in the movies, because she's, she's kind of low class, and it doesn't really have that refinement that, uh, to make it in Hollywood. Yeah, for, for smoozing the producers and whatnot. So the two of them end up doing cocaine together at a party in the first scene, and she asks him, what Mm -hmm. do you want to do? As you do. Yeah, what do you want to do with your life in Hollywood? And he's like, well, I've never even been on a movie set, but I want to, that's what I want to do. I want to go to the movie set, and I want to know I was a part of something important. So at the end of the movie, even after everything that's happened to him, he thinks back watching Singing on the Rain, and he realizes that, yeah, he was a part of something important, even though it all blew up in his face. So I remember the ending more than anything else, really, because I thought that was a really nice way to close off. And that ending scene stuck in my mind is something special. And then it was pretty cool because as he's thinking back to the importance of his contribution to film history, there's this really awesome montage going back from basically from 1927's The Jazz Singer, which is the first use of synchronized sound in film, basically goes all the way up to even... Avatar in 2009, just like some of the best, most innovative movies from cinema history, kind of just placing the main character, Manny, in a long line of cinema innovation that started around his era. So I thought that was a really cool ending because it just puts 1927 Hollywood in context of all of cinema history and just it just makes the movie even more memorable in retrospect. So you're like, oh yeah, these people really set the benchmark, the benchmark for everything that came after. What they did here led to everything else we love later down the line. So this movie is basically... It's some combination between Singing in the Rain and The Wolf of Wall Street. Because I haven't seen this much excess since The Wolf of Wall Street, drug-fueled escapades, orgies, manic energy. Every scene is as crazy as can be. Really hyper is a good word to describe it. Gets pretty crazy. 
the opening scene of the movie, I understand why people are mixed on it right from the opening scene, is Manny's this animal handler, or he's supposed to get an animal for this huge party. And one of the first scenes is he's hauling this elephant up the hills of L.A. and takes a crap all over him. <laughs> and like, okay, like that's graphic. And then later at the party, there's this really weird scene where this guy who's supposed to be a 1920s film actor, he's kind of in a, an amalgamation of uh, this famous 1920s actor. He gets this girl to do some really weird stuff, like pee on his face. And it's like also really graphic as like a sex thing. Jesus I'm like, okay, Christ. this this movie is like this is the first ten minutes. This is weird. Yeah. And it just gets weirder. I just I just saw a review title here. If La La Land was a love letter to the magic of making movies, this is like hate mail. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's sometimes it's more cynical for sure. Because okay, I'll tell you what the character arcs basically are now. So the main character, like I said, is Manny. He starts off as this nobody who, when he meets Margot Robbie, he's never even been on a film set, but he dreams of becoming a film star or just being in the industry. But he's really good at wrangling people and and whatnot. So when he helps Brad Pitt's character, Jack Conrad, who's this huge film star, he ends up kind of palling around with him on a movie set and making himself look really good to the producers. And over the next couple of years, he ends up becoming a big shot executive in Hollywood who calls a lot of shots. And so that's his story. So then there's Jack Conrad, who is Brad Pitt. And Jack is an actor in the twilight years of his career. He was a huge silent film star. And then sound comes out. And even though he still does okay, he people just aren't seeing his movies anymore. Or they're, they're even making fun of him. And he's not even doing anything wrong is the thing. There's a fantastic scene where this film critic, he asks, well, what am I doing wrong? And she says, well, nothing. Your time's just up. And it kind of helps him put it into perspective. And she has this fantastic scene with him there where she says, well, you know, you got to think about it this way. How many people are lucky enough to do what you've done. There's going to be a time where your adventures and your characters and everything you've done are preserved on film to the point where 50 years from now, when you're dead and gone, long gone, somebody's going to pull your films out of a vault somewhere and watch them and relive those adventures like we are today. And they're going to look back on you as this legend and think they know you. You're going to live on for all time thanks to what you've done now. You've been a part of something really special and that helps him put his life into perspective which in the end is pretty tragic because he ultimately commits suicide at the very end of the movie basically oh. when all of it finally catches That's up brad to pitt him or yeah, brad, no, brad pitt the Damn. uh the executive guy he he's the one who ends up seeing singing in the rain years later so then the third character is Margot Robbie, is Nellie Leroy. Like I said, she's the, she's the lower class girl from Jersey, come to Hollywood. She's estranged from most of her family, except her dad, who's her manager. And they, and she basically ends up accidentally on a film set after this actress ODs at a party. And nobody, they need somebody to show up for the movie the next day. And she was the only one who wasn't 
passed out or in the middle of an orgy when the producers were looking for somebody <laughs> around the party. So they're like, her, she made a great impression. Her, you, you go to the movie. So then she becomes this huge film star too. But her voice sucks. So when sounds, Sync Sound comes in, she doesn't do very well. She has to relearn how to talk. But also when the Hayes Code comes in and Hollywood has to actually have rules now, her party girl attitude and just her carefree lifestyle don't really jive with 1930s morality anymore. So they have to kind of rework her into a girl next door type who people can see as this morally upstanding person, which doesn't really fly because she that's just not who she is. And there's this hmm. great scene in a party where they put her in this nice dress and she has to act all upper class and and everything. And then it ends with her binge eating everything on the table and getting herself all messy and swearing and telling terrible jokes. She throws up on the carpet of the main foyer and takes a bow and walks out of the house. So, uh, yeah. So she, uh, so Manny, who's a, yeah. So he's in love with her the whole time and he's trying to help her out. So they're all, he's trying to help her out. Brad Pitt's dealing with the twilight of his career. They're all trying to make it in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, and then there's another character, a couple characters. One who stood out to me was um, a character named Sidney Palmer who gets his start playing in a jazz band at the parties they all go to. So the parties are kind of throughout the movie, mm -hmm. and they all attend them, and that's where the characters meet mostly. So this guy starts off as a jazz trumpetist, and he kind of breaks out into his own thing when Manny finally gives him a chance to be in his own movies. But then everybody starts making it about his race rather than his music. And there's this one scene where Manny makes him wear blackface in one of the movies just so he can look darker on camera, just so that they can market it in the South better as a, as a colored picture. Damn. So he's wearing... So he's a black guy wearing blackface in the movie. And that was the last straw for him. He gets out of show business. And he's one of the only ones with a happy ending. Because, yeah, Brad Pitt kills himself. Nellie Leroy, Margot Robbie. She, there's a newspaper clipping. Says she died just a few years after the film. After um, the events of the film. She died really young from an overdose or something. And, um... Yeah, and Manny, he makes it out okay, but he's kind of depressed because he gets run out of Hollywood by the mob after making some bad deals. <laughs> Which is where Tobey Maguire comes in. There, he's the mobster who is only uh, in, like, two scenes. But oh, it's bad. It's, yeah, it's bad enough that he gets run out of town and he's never allowed to come back to L.A. But he does in the very end. What I think is interesting about this movie is that it's kind of a series of short films that are, for example, there's a, like a, at least a 10-minute scene, I didn't keep count, of a sound check scene where Margot Robbie and Ellie Leroy has to hit her mark on the stage, say her line. It's just, a, it's just a basic stage. They're all filming, but nobody's used to sound yet. So you have the sound guy up in the box, and every time she does a take, so everyone's got their own thing. The director's trying to get this done because it, like, they're on a deadline. They've only got a day to do this, and nobody knows what they're doing. 
the camera guy is in this soundproof box and he's claiming like he's going to get a heart attack and they're dying of the heat. The sound guy stops the scene every two seconds for something wrong. Nellie Leroy can't, doesn't really know her lines very well. The soundstage is way too hot. Everybody keeps making the littlest bits of noise, which sets the whole thing off. And they have to stop it anytime somebody even, you know, sneezes. <laughs> like, who sneezed? Who goddamn sneezed? I will kill you! <laughs> it gets really intense. So the heat gets to everybody. There's even a bit where the director's got uh, a plate in her leg. And they're like, can you just keep that leg still? Because we're, we're catching feedback from that. And they just go over this scene seven or eight times in real time. And you can feel the frustration. Awful. Yeah, and then you can feel the frustration building. And then it all comes to a head when they finally get the scene right and the camera guy dies. <laughs> so. Jesus. Well, it sounds it awful. It sound like it's... an enjoyable experience. <laughs> oh, it's great. No, that was the best scene in the movie. That was fantastic. It was a it was a great tension building mm. scene that just like you really I don't know, I, I don't know it sounds bad to you but that was my favorite scene in the movie it was it built the tension fantastically it was kind of comedic but had a dramatic ending it showed just how tough this new sound thing is how hard it is on everybody in front of and behind the camera before they had it figured out you can just feel everybody's frustration and it's some good character building moments too. So then there's like another example is the scene at the end when uh, Manny has to deal with the mob and Tobey Maguire. That's kind of an extended scene too. And that's kind of a short film as well. They go to the mobster. They brought prop money, but he didn't realize that. The other, the other guy brought prop money from the soundstage and they're trying to pass it off uh, for this mobster. And then the mobster leads them to this crazy place and then the mobster finds out it was prop money and they have to escape the place and a hail of bullets. And, and then there's the party scenes, which are also kind of short films on their own. It's like a bunch of extended short films. That's probably where my friends got like lost on it, where it just, uh, they, never, they never told me this, but from your description, I can understand why some people really don't like this movie, where it doesn't really have an overarching narrative, or it probably does, but not as smooth as some people would like it to be like it does but it doesn't the character arcs are pretty right. consistent are pretty consistent nelly is mm -hmm. like i said she's she doesn't really fit in with hollywood she feels very alone and isolated she wants to live this party lifestyle and be a star she feels like she was born a star i think she says early in the movie some people want to be stars i am uh <laughs> So her whole thing is wanting to be a celebrity. But when she finally does get all that money and fame, she can't help herself but abuse it on drugs and gambling and parties and gets herself into a whack ton of debt until the mob's after her. And she can't really solve her own problems because she's an addict and she just can't help but self-sabotage. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's her thing. Manny... He wants to be this big shot executive and he's great at it, but his flaws being in love with Nellie Leroy, because even though she's self-sabotaging, he goes out of his way to help her at every opportunity, even when it's damaging to his own career and ends up getting him driven out of LA in the end. And uh, Brad Pitt's character, Jack, he loves movies as an art form, but he gets roped into doing shitty costume pictures and 
just like B-movie trash, even though he wants to be a serious artist and advance his career, but he's the biggest draw, so he gets sucked into these terrible movies all the time, and he just kind of has some self-pitying issues. He's like, well, I, I want to do more, but I also value cinema. Like, he has this wife who sees cinema as a low art form, and he's like, no, 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 cinema is more than you think. He's like, you know what? When you go to uh, Broadway and you do your shows on that because his wife's an actress on Broadway, he's like, you, you do that and maybe 100,000 people see your show and you think you're so high and mighty, here that's a flop. <laughs> so. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so he has, like, I think Brad Pitt is who Damien Chazelle funnels his ideas about modern cinema through. Because a lot of the things he says, I'm like, yeah, why can't Hollywood be this way today? They've lost sight of the endgame, man. Whatever Brad Pitt says in this movie about Hollywood, that's how it should be. So it does so sound very... like a huge criticism of what Hollywood is. Yeah, it's, what it, it's a huge criticism of what it was, what it is, but it's also about what it can be at its core when it's working mm -hmm. right. It's about all these messed up people and this messed up system coming together to create magic that the masses find enjoyable, that they find entertainment and inspiration from, that they can idolize these people on screen as heroes and gods, even though they're very flawed individuals. It's... Yeah, it's, it's about the magic of movies, but about how messed up it is to make them. So it is, mm. in a lot of ways, positive ultimately. Like I said, the ending to me, like the main character is crying, thinking of how terrible things used to be. And then when he hears Gene Kelly singing in the rain, he remembers there was a lot of good times and that what they did mattered then and extended into now. So that's, that's basically Babylon. It's just one big three-hour exhausting trip to 1920s Hollywood. It doesn't sound like you like it, though. <laughs> it sounds like I'm, you're exhausted. <laughs> it's weird because, yeah, it, it did leave me exhausted. But I've heard you compare this to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where, yeah. I, again, I haven't watched Babylon, but you think it's a bit similar. I think it's very similar. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, my friends really didn't like that movie because they had very similar criticisms. Nothing goes on. What's really happening in this movie? It feels like, once again, a bunch of sequences where, yeah, the sequences taken individually are cool, but what do they really add up to? And I always saw it as... Yeah. It's Tarantino. definitely his weaker, one of his weaker movies. Yeah, and I always saw Tarantino's point was he was trying to capture a portrait of Los Angeles in the 60s the sequences aren't, mm -hmm. there is narrative through line with the characters, but it's really about Los Angeles as the main character. What was this place like at this time? And these are the people whom we're seeing this city through. The, we're seeing it through their eyes at this time. So it's about these little slices of life to give you an impression what was Hollywood like then. And Babylon does the same thing, but for 1920s. So in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's what was L.A. like before the murder of Sharon Tate? 
Mm-hmm. In Babylon, it's what was Hollywood like before and after sound came into the mix and changed everything. And in that regard, I think it succeeds. It's I get a great impression of what the air is like. I mean, I knew a lot of it from film school, <laughs> mind you. But <laughs> if I didn't know any of that, I think it would be an interesting start to an education on the things happening in 1920s Hollywood and how it changed the movie industry. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm very mixed on it, to be honest. Like I said, it leaves me exhausted. It wasn't the most satisfying film. Some plot threads kind of went nowhere. I didn't, you know, it, it wasn't especially, like, it didn't have me locked in all the way through. I thought it kind of dragged in the middle bits, even though it had a strong beginning and a really good last scene, I thought. But I definitely didn't hate it like a lot of people seem to. I think there's a lot of merit, specifically technically, the filmmaking, the editing, the the directing, mm-hmm. the acting. On a technical level, this movie's fantastic. It's just, can you stomach how it's presented? Is the main thing. Some people... Probably not. <laughs> some people like me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I'll take that. Some people love it. Some people absolutely hate it, like your friend did. But, yeah, that's my rough thoughts on it's probably the three hours i feel like that's what people are criticizing more for that's another thing this movie would be pretty good if it trimmed out about half an hour at least Mm -hmm. i think damien chazelle's the writer director on this and i think he went a little too overboard because he was doing his own thing he probably didn't get enough checks and balances this time around which i'm sure he'll learn and do better on the next one I'd rather filmmakers I like have a couple missteps that they learn from than just Mm kind of stagnate. So They can't all be great. No, I just don't think it's not great, but it's not as bad as you'll probably hear either. At least I don't think it is. Would I recommend it? Uh, No. (laughs) Well, maybe if you're bored (laughs) or... Just want to learn more about 1920s Hollywood, or you're a Damien Chazelle completionist because his filmmaking style is pretty dynamic. I haven't even watched First Man yet. That's another thing I have to catch. Yeah, First Man I enjoy. Is this, is this one of those movies where you could watch in parts and it not like get lost in? Yeah, probably. Because you say it's like you little could. short films. Yeah, yeah see, that's could. no. You could probably watch. <laughs> that's it in, like a no. <laughs> you could probably watch it in sequences. I mean, like. It's like nearly like a TV show, right? If you watched it in like mm. 10 to 15 minute chunks, there is a story. You could appreciate it as like 10 to 15 minute short films doing their own thing. And if you watch them all, there is a story there. Like, it, it's not like nothing happens. I don't know where people are getting this idea. People just get bored and they think nothing happens. <laughs> but how many in terms of like, What's the ratio between actual, like, filmmaking sound stuff and that and parties? Is it half and half? Is it one well, more over than the other? Well, the parties are... I'd say it's nearly 50-50, really. That's probably it's like, it, then. The parties, That's probably where the criticisms are coming from. The parties are where the characters develop more, I'd say, because that's where they interact more as people. The films are when they're doing Let's their job. Fucked up! Yeah. 
The films are when they're doing their job, and the parties are where they get the inspiration or hit their emotional highs and lows and interact as people. And then the films, they, they take those emotions and take them to their films where they make movie magic or sometimes fail. The filmmaking scenes are the most dynamic by far, but the parties are also excessive to show this is what the era was like. The, these parties were just as much a part of the life for Hollywood actors and executives as the filmmaking was. So the fact that there, it is so prominent is trying to prove a point. Is it great for entertainment value? Maybe not, but I think he did have a point he was trying to make with it. For sure. Anyway, that's all I got to say on Babylon. <laughs> you sound super excited every time you say the title. Babylon. Babylon. That's all I have to say on Babylon. <laughs> all right, let's plug our socials. Ah, uh, well, you can find me Ryan Walker official on Instagram and on TikTok, and Ryan Walker on YouTube. I'd say I'd start streaming. I haven't done it yet, but I've just been lazy. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Thought Play Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Also, be sure to leave us comments and reviews as that's a big help. Now, how about clicking that like button or sharing if you enjoyed this? We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where we argue about The Last of Us. I mean, discuss it. Till next time. <laughs> see ya.